0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Intelligence for Your Life, the podcast. I'm Gib Gerard, and our guest this week is Jeffrey Shaw. He's the author of the new book, The Self-Employed Life. We're going to talk all about how to apply an, entrepreneur, an entrepreneurial, easy for me to say, mindset to your life. How to uh, how to how to reframe your life like an entrepreneur. Uh, very timely stuff, considering how many people are out there. Uh, you know, looking for work or who are trying to reinvent themselves coming out of, this, out, out of this pandemic. So again, folks, Jeffrey Shaw, lots of really good information for you guys in this one. Uh, we're going to have a couple of quick pieces of intelligence. But before we do the pieces of intelligence, first, a quick word from our sponsors, including Rocket Mortgage. This part of Intelligence for Life, the podcast is presented by Rocket Mortgage. When you want the ability to adjust your loan options in real time, Rocket can. Thank you to our sponsors, especially Rocket Mortgage. Thank you guys so much for coming through. Uh, In a second, my interview with Jeffrey Shaw. But first, a couple quick pieces of intelligence. If you want a quick way to increase your productivity, put earplugs in for 30 minutes right when you start working in the morning. Our brain operates best, and we have the most mental energy before noon. So ideally, we should be working on our most important tasks in the morning. And according to Cornell University, 30 minutes of silence in the morning shuts out mentally draining distractions. It's so effective that it increases productivity by 67%. So uh, yeah, pop in those those earplugs or I have noise-canceling headphones that I use in the mornings. Those really help. One more piece. Stop second-guessing your decisions. Try this trick. Think about a decision while nodding your head yes. Nodding is a form of self-validation and our brain is influenced by our body language. So nodding yes will increase your conviction about your decision and it'll boost your self-confidence instantly. So earplugs in the morning, nod when you got to make a big decision, it'll help you, it'll help you double down on, on, on your choices. And uh, that's it. That's two quick pieces of intelligence. And now my interview with Jeffrey Shaw. Jeffrey Shaw, small business consult- consultant, host of Self-Employed Life, and of course, most importantly, author of the new book, The Self-Employed Life. Thank you so much for being with us today. We're really excited to dive into this and talk to you. Awesome, Gable. Well, thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Your new book, the one that we're here to talk about, uh, starts with, with something that you gleaned from coaching, All right, Which is you asked a lot of people, a lot of self-employed business owners, this idea of why they went into business for themselves. And they always said that they wanted to control their destiny. And yet you found that small business owners don't get to control their destiny the same yeah. way that we kind of imagine they would. So, uh... I mean, I guess first and foremost, uh, what, why should people go into business for themselves? Uh, and, and, and what does that, what does that really look
1: like? Yeah. It's uh you know, and I have to say, I think that the question comes more from just life experience in addition <laughs> to coaching clients, right? It's just that typical conversation. I, I've been self-employed my entire life. I literally have never had a, you know, tra- traditional job or received a paycheck. So it's the only world I've ever known. And I've always been curious, like what? What draws people into doing uh, to becoming self-employed? And repeatedly, everybody always says the same answer. You know, I want to control my destiny, control Mm -hmm. my future. And, you know, I always ask, well, how's that going for you? Because it's never quite what we expect. So, you know, and I think inevitably every, you know, there's this weird paradox being self-employed because on one hand, everyone will always say and they wouldn't have it any other way. And then on the but they'll also admit that there are many times that we say, what the hell was I thinking? Right. So it's both. It's all those things. And quite honestly, Gib, that's why I wrote this book called The Self-Employed Life. Like it was very intentional that we put the word life in there because it just doesn't exist. Um, You know, first of all, as a self-employed business owner myself, it never occurred to me to seek out a book. I think I think we inherently assume nobody's going to understand us. Right. So we just deal with everything on our on our own. So when I had the concept for this book, I, I turned to Amazon and did my due diligence and found there isn't a single book out there, anything like this. Like, in fact, if you Google self-employed books, they're going to be about taxes. Right. It's right. It's the craziest thing. Like, they're literally all about taxes, which is not the forefront <laughs> of people's <laughs> self-employed people's mind. But, it, you know, it's, yes, it's a part of it. But it just nothing, you know. It's that world of of realizing that you you actually feel like nobody can understand you unless they're also self employed. It's very alienating. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to write a life book. I wanted to write a book about being self employed from the whole what I refer to as the ecosystem, Mm -hmm. who we are as people, the business strategies we need, the habits we need. Uh, I, I wanted to create a resource book that people can turn to.
0: I mean, and i think you know I mean, look part of the reason i was most excited to talk to you uh right now is i think a lot of people going into the shutdown and uh it, they they had their faith they had their sort of twenty year plan based on on stuff that disappeared really quickly right mm-hmm. they they you people whether they were self employed or not i mean i think people who had a job and lost it were were very blindsided people who were self employed and sort of had a, a business that was, you know, making, it was throwing off a little bit of cash was allowing them to live and work their business full-time. All of a sudden that stuff's gone, uh, need to rethink the strategies that we, we use to approach our lives. So I think a lot of people also realized, you know, the, the, the idea of working for a company for 20 years doesn't really work. We all have to start thinking like this book suggests that mm-hmm. whether whatever it is you're really monetizing your time so whether you've got a business or you are just selling your time to a company we need to think of ourselves as being self-employed
1: even if we have a, a 9 to 5 job so to speak Do- yeah. yeah it's it's you know it's an interesting component of this book because when I started writing it the, the pandemic hadn't hit mm-hmm. and um i it actually didn't occur to me until much later cuz again having always been self-employed you know it, you have a different perspective on things. And it hadn't occurred to me that in times of high unemployment, that historically speaking, the rate of self-employment goes up, right? It's so obvious, but it just never really occurred to me that that is something people turn to. And to be honest with you, Gib, I look at those that have corporate jobs Mm -hmm. with great I'll say admiration because I can't get my head around what it must feel like Mm -hmm. to be in a position where the rug can be pulled out from underneath you. Like, you know, I would jokingly say, Hey, the advantage of being self-employed, it's a long, painful death. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But I mean, the idea that you can, you know, you could just suddenly lose. I can't tell you how that is so out of my realm of thinking. This has never been my existence, Mm -hmm. but man, I can understand. I can imagine what that must feel like. Mm -hmm. And, you know on top of that due to the current situation we're in i mean so we not only have to worry about all the people that lost their job and in fact predictions are i believe by 2030 50% of the us population will be self-employed That's crazy i mean it's it's crazy right so it's and if you look at the younger generations coming up it makes sense like you know i have I have three kids. Two are millennials. One is uh, Gen Z. Mm-hmm. And there's only five years between them, but they cross that barrier. Although their behaviors, their buying behaviors, reflect those generations. Sure. But what's interesting is that you know and I actually speak a lot in HR, which is always funny to me. Like for the guy that never had a job, I, I speak <laughs> I speak at HR conferences all the right, time. Right. 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 Because part of it, you know, it's it's I take a branding approach to HR. And one of the core problems is a lot of employers don't understand the mindset of Millennials and the younger workforce and here is I I think one of the primary mindsets that establishes their values and what Draws them to a job is that they grew up in an uncertain world Their most formative years when you're like between 8 and 12 years old those impressionable years. That's when 9-11 happened. Mm -hmm. That's when uh, you know their parents and family members who thought they had the security of a forever job lost those jobs. Mm -hmm. So the younger generation inherently understands the instability of Mm -hmm. corporate, Mm -hmm. right? So they are automatically drawn towards self-employment, if if not as a side hustle, to be all in. And that's why we're going to see this major wave, I believe, towards far more self-employment add to that i'll add one more component which also is a result of the pandemic is that i can't help but con- consider and and you know actually have a great deal of compassion for the people that do have their job and are reevaluating their whole lives sure sure right i mean how many millions of people are sitting in their jobs still we already know the job dissatisfaction rate is super high right imagine now the people that are really questioning is this how I want to spend the rest of my life in a job I'm not happy, or do I want to make that leap into self-employment?
0: Well, I mean, look, I think you look at you look at the landscape, and you say, and you say, there was a time when the last thing a company would do would be a mass layoff. It was a bad sign. It was, you know, in the middle of the 20th century, there's no way people would do mass layoffs unless it was the the real end of that company. Um, and now we've seen that sort of the the executives' first move. You see this influx of venture capital and private equity money, uh, buying up brands and, and trying to flip them. And one of the things they do with that is they streamline the HR departments. Mm-hmm. So so when you see these companies that don't value their employees properly, uh, and they, I mean, you see wages that don't keep up with inflation, you see benefits that get that get stripped every, year over year because of companies trying to navigate in an increasingly competitive world. I'm not saying there's no justification for it. But you wake up one and you go, well, I missed that round of layoffs but what's saying i'm not going i'm not going to miss the next round of layoffs what's mm-hmm. saying that i'm not going to all of a sudden be furloughed or have my hours cut or whatever whatever that looks like uh with when the next struggle comes along and by the way to your point we've been conditioned that there's there struggle is coming every couple of years now you know ever since 911 you have you have different drops in 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 sort of the uh, quality of life where you have uh you have the dot com bubble you have uh the the 08 financial crash and the um uh, you know subprime mortgage crash and then you know now you have the pandemic so it's like what are we what are we clinging to uh, there's that lifestyle just is not there for us anymore so yeah w- we need a side hustle we need a way yeah. to make money that that is that is different so how do we start to uh, we observe this and a whole generation of people gets that part of it but the entire educational system the entire teaching that we've got from our previous generation has been put your head down, get a degree, get a job, work the job, retire, and you know, pay attention to what's in your retirement and 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 then you're good. Well, that doesn't work anymore. So how do we begin mm-hmm. to change our mindset? There's no blueprint anymore. Uh, mm-hmm.
1: how do we begin to change our mindset to prepare ourselves for this world? Yeah, and you know, I'll kind of piggyback off what you were saying a little earlier. I also think we have a collision of human emotions here or human uh, just life and 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 it's like a collision of human experiences Mm -hmm. that's what i'm looking for in that the older we get the more you know and here's the thing and i've actually done a fair amount of work on that there's an entire chapter in the book on what i refer to as midlife self-employment because that's Mm. a whole thing in itself right so there's we thankfully have a longer life expectancy plan and i don't know if you're familiar with the work of chip conley but he's somebody i I really admire and, and adore and he's doing He was well known uh For His hotel chain chain joie de vivre. He now has he wrote a book called peak, which is really famous He then with he worked for Airbnb kind of give you a little context of of who he is and now He's really stepped into this arena around what he calls modern elders Hmm. guys separating that from elderly because the reality is is that we are living in midlife Much longer. We're still only old if you will the last 10 years of our life But the fact that our life expectancy is longer We're spending more time more years decades in this midlife experience So here's this collision of the human experience is that we have people as we get older We we have a sense that we want to do more purposeful work and we Mm -hmm. have decades ahead of us to do it and at the same time in the workplace we tend to feel like we're being devalued, right? Mm-hmm. So you're 50, 55 years old. You feel like you're being pushed out of your company. Meanwhile, you're stepping into the human experience when you actually want to do something more purposeful in your sure, life.
0: Sure, sure, sure.
1: Right? So it's a collision of human experiences, what we personally experience and what society expects of us. So I think there's this, there's, and statistics show, there's this mass exodus <laughs> in the mid-50s and I think we're going to see a lot more of that. So the good news is, to your question, you you have people coming into a lot of experience. You know, the, the, one of the myths of self-employment is that there's this there's this belief around the hustle culture.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Like, right. But the fact of the matter is, your most successful startup businesses, self-employed businesses, the average age is forty-seven. Interesting. The most successful business at the average age is 47. With,
0: with about a 10-year
1: experience in the industry you're starting a business in, is that is that not correct? Or it could be entirely different, you know? I mean, I went from being a, portrait, a professional portrait photographer, a family portrait photographer, I've been doing that for 36 years, but I was 25 years in when I started pivoting towards coaching, which mm-hmm. led me to speaking, which led me to writing. Mm-hmm. And with 25 years of experience, when I launched my coaching practice, it was such a different way to acquire clients. I had, a, as a photographer, you know, it was all about brand image. So I built a, a superior brand image and then created an eight-week waiting list, right? So there was, Gib, you're going to find this funny. I'm not kidding you. There was about, about three years ago. And so at this point, you know, I'm probably nine, ten years into building my coaching practice. Three years ago, I had to have somebody explain to me what prospecting for clients meant, Hmm. because I, I had, an, as a photographer, I had an eight-week eight, eight, eight waiting list. Like, I would never had to pursue. And then when I started my coaching practice, because of my reputation of success in business, I, you know, I, there wasn't much of a funnel, right? People were coming to me. But that, that, that eventually dries up. And then suddenly, I was in this position of having to acquire clients. Mm-hmm. So my point is, is that the advantage of it's going to be really hard to get this information in traditional education. Sure. And But I'm not going to say, first of all, I'm a huge believer in education more for the experience. I mean, I, I was more excited for my kids to go off to university because of the experience they would have, whether they actually applied what they learned or not. I wasn't mm-hmm. sure. But I think the experience is, is where I didn't have that. And maybe that's often, you know, what we're drawn to wanting for sure. our kids, what we sure, didn't have ourselves. Sure, sure. I went to a one-year photography school. That's That was the only opportunity I had. But I think, you know, what I love seeing, what I'm seeing right now that I love are these midlife self-employed folks that are leaving their corporate jobs, they're starting businesses on their own, even if it has nothing to do with their current position, what I help them do as a coach is to, to extract the best of what's innately in them Mm -hmm. as well as the experience they have. And what can we create to create something that doesn't exist yet? Yeah. You know, so I it just doesn't take traditional education, but it's wonderful when you've got experience that you can bring into this, which I think we're going to see more of because it's you can't teach self-employment.
0: Um, but but yet you do <laughs> You're yeah, reporting I do. To with your with yeah. your book. So uh, so how do we, so l- let's say you're one of those people who uh, I mean, let's say we, we can we can use me. We can use any example where you where you're you've been working in an, in an industry for a while. Uh, you're sort of being pushed out as an employee, and I actually, by the way, I think uh, automation is going to kill a, a good amount of people who could have started great businesses because we, we're losing the clerks of the world. We're losing the people who look at the numbers every single day for these for these businesses and kind of understand how things work from that nuts and bolts perspective. Uh, all that stuff is being automated out, and so you either have an MBA or you're working, you know somewhere completely different is the, the clerks were really, uh, uh, is, it was a great place. Do you know what I mean? When I say like the, the clerk lifestyle, um, yeah. it, it, we're really, we're missing that because of the smartphone doing 90% of that stuff now, uh, or, you know, software as a service doing that stuff. So I, I think those kinds of people who can see the pattern and then begin to, um, extrapolate on that pattern are going away. How do we begin to change our mindset and look for, that space that where there's what do they call that you kind of mentioned it but it's it's called like the blue water space where you're where you're not in the way of anybody else you're in a part of the marketplace that never existed before you know what what uber figured out or,
1: or or companies like it so you know i and it's hard to have those original thoughts like uber but you know hey uber apple admittedly they're really the combination of a few things that were already going on mm-hmm. right so there, there's kind of a a combi- and that to me is the key what i always look for when i'm when i'm working with a client, particularly those that are leaving corporate and going because there's information there that they can't necessarily see. And quite honestly, this is where my background as a photographer really comes into play because I see things in pieces and imagine composing a whole like that's just the way my brain works. Mm-hmm. So I'm always digging for the pieces and and part of those pieces are, you know, what experiences somebody bringing in. Um, But it's also what I'm really looking for is what is their unique perspective on an idea that excites them, Mm. right? Because unique perspective is not it's it's not matchable. Like if you think about what makes up one's unique perspective and I would define unique perspective on how you see what you do. The reason you see what you do differently than everybody else is because it's a combination, perhaps, of education. It's a combination of your experience. It's a combination of just your unique, your innate characteristics, your innate uh, way of looking at the world. Just you know, if you were to line up fifty people in any one trade and really dig deep with them, there's a there's a reason why they see what they do differently than everybody else. Mm-hmm. And why it's important in the world. And that is actually what turns out to be most marketable. And I know this, you know, if you kind of come back to my original trade, being a photographer, being a photographer is not only incredibly competitive today, because there are a lot of photographers, every smartphone also has a camera on it. Yeah. Right. right. So you're competing at a whole other level. But how do you, you know, and I was, and I am very much on the high end. I mean, how is it that I can get people to. Uh, to invest in family portraits to the degree that they do when they have a camera on their phone. Right. Well, when you because, when
0: good enough is available
1: from eight hundred other places. Correct. Yeah, and it's it's you know it's an alignment of values. So they you have to tap into with your the audience you're trying to reach. Like what really gets to the heart of what's most important to them. What are their values? What can you provide? Uh, one of the things I provide for my clients that is pretty unmatchable by probably a lot of most photographers is that my, my very high level of detail and responsibility. Mm -hmm. And that plays very well into the clientele that I serve because I make sure that their life when all things photography related appear really buttoned down. Mm -hmm. So for example, if as a family photographer for affluent families who tend to have multiple kids, they, when you have money, money can't be an excuse. Like, Typical American family: the younger children they get a hand-me-downs. Mm-hmm. I was the youngest of three boys. You know, there's an inequity,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? There's checks and balances. There's some advantages to being the youngest. I got to see rated R movies before my brothers. You mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. <laughs> there's you know, but overall, there's like a trickling down because you know that's the typical American right. family. But when right. you're affluent, you can't send your older kids to Ivy league. And then the third and fourth kid goes to community college, Mm -hmm. right? So they live with this pressure of inequity. So for me as a photographer, I make sure that all the kids get treated evenly, that all the kids get photographed at the same age so that the parents don't live with this burden of responsibility of, you know, skipping one child.
0: Right. So So you you handle that, you reach out to them and like, Hey, you know, Jim is, is seven now. And you took a picture of Peter when he was
1: seven. Yeah, I know exactly. What, so as it turns out, my innate characteristic of being overly organized, very detail oriented and very sensitive as the youngest child myself, very sensitive to what that feels like to the younger children. It turns out that actually differentiates it myself from other photographers mm, interesting. and commands a top dollar. Right. Right. So that's how you wind up in a competitive industry, that's how you, or any industry, you're just competing for attention, you wind up separating yourself by really aligning the deepest, most profound assets that you have in yourself to the audience that's going to appreciate that. Do you have
0: like a methodology or a mindset that can get us to understand what that is for ourselves? Because I think a lot of people are walking around with... Uh, an, I mean, I think every, so to your point earlier, everybody has a unique perspective. You know, you're you're a you're a unique and perfect snowflake, just like everybody else. Got it. So now we all are. We all have this unique perspective, uh, but so few people have figured out how to tap into, or monetize, or elevate, or even figure out what that s- secret sauce is that makes them different from from everybody else, and they end up just working for somebody else. Do you have a way of, of tapping into how to, how to use what makes us us or how to find what makes us us, and then how to, how to leverage that into monetization? Yeah. I, I,
1: and I do. And, and oddly enough, it, it is the theme of my TEDx talk, but from a different perspective, because I, I did the TEDx talk as TEDx talks like, you know, I'm a more life-based and mm-hmm. the theme of my TEDx talk is that most often people can see more in us than we can see in ourselves. Mm. Right. No matter how big we think, I mean how how big we think of ourselves or how much we think we're capable of, the fact of the matter is that we're inherently limited by our own expectations of ourselves. No matter how high you raise the ceiling of, you know, you're gonna be all that, expectation by definition is a predetermined outcome. And I started getting really curious. Prior to crafting my TEDx talk, I was getting, it actually happened one night when I was watching an award show. It's like, you know, Emmys or Oscars or something. And I was struck by how often, actually, you know what it was? It was the Tonys. It's the Tony Awards. Because there's a real community to the theater, you know, community, right? So what struck me is how every award recipient thanked their peers, thanked teachers And I realized there was something that's we see that innately. How many sports stars win awards and thank their coaches? Thank we're always thanking people who saw something in us earlier in life that we couldn't see in ourselves. Mm -hmm. And as it turns out, that's also the way to find that unique perspective. Chances are people have been pointing out to you what you put out in the world of highest value that is so natural to who you are. You don't see it. Right. Right. So I will ask my clients things like, and often I'll, I'll suddenly get a, to be honest with you, a bit of an intuitive hit. Like I'll be talking to them enough. I, I, one, one situation, I called a client once, uh, you know, in between our calls, I reached out to her and I said, throughout your life, have people told you that you have a way of cutting to the chase? And she said she was a, previously an IBM executive looking to start out on her own. And she goes, oh, my gosh, always like every meeting, every board meeting. People always, you know, always turn to me and say, hey, what do you think? You, you she had a way of cutting to the chase. And I'm like, there's a need for that. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, there there are there's a role to be played with that. Like, what do we do with that now? What's the product? What's the service that we can create with that? But and she wound up going into coaching. Because there's a real need for that. There's a to have the skill set of being able to because to help other people cut through the clutter in their mind mm-hmm. to have something in their life that you can just cut to the chase has value. The fact matter, she'd heard that her whole life. So to her, it was almost almost an insult, right? Which happens a lot. Like there's a way throughout my, my entire life. People have always literally made fun of me for being overly organized and yet as it turns out that's exactly the thing that I can make the most amount of money on interesting
0: yes yeah, so you you get you get told that you're 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 this uh you know that you're the uh Felix Unger uh, in yeah. people's lives like oh I don't want to be the Felix Unger he's a buzzkill but it turns out that's your that's your
1: move that's your that's your unique perspective yeah. you know it's how it's something you and that that you know there's a lot of different ways of looking but i have to say that's probably the most proven scenario And it's, it's the hardest to say it. it, I I use this phrase all the time in my work that you can't read the label from inside the jar, right? (laughs) Right. right, Yeah, right. You're in it. Like you are that person. You may not be able to see it. And it's, I also, because I come from the photography background have come to realize it's the, it's the number one reason why creative entrepreneurs have a hard time getting paid what they're worth and a hard time commanding a higher price is because what comes easy to them, they can't imagine has value in it. Right. Right. I I worked with uh, I was coaching a while back a a guy who referred to himself as a data architect. Basically, he was just a really fancy programmer, and um, but he was he was made the mistake a lot of self-employed business owners make, which is he was charging on an hourly basis. And it was like $125 an hour, mm-hmm. but he he worked for big companies, huge corporations, and often he would work for a division or, or a department of that company. Mm-hmm. And he was telling me this scenario of one case where. Something, a, a programming, uh, something he fixed in programming, which took him less than an hour of his time, mm-hmm. saved $5 million in production. Right. Right? So I had to shift his way of thinking and saying, that's not worth $125 just because you fixed it in an hour. That's worth it's half worth, a million dollars. It's exactly. Yeah. You, you nailed it. I said, it's worth one-tenth right. of what it saved that company. One-tenth. And it completely changed his mind, and framework. Uh, but that's typical. It's very typical because hey, it's easy for him to come up with that solution in an hour. But he just saved a company five million dollars. That's worth half a million dollars. Right,
0: right, yeah. And if they want, <laughs> if they want to, if they want to do it for cheaper, then they have to bring somebody in full time, right? Like yeah. then, then you have to have a, a staff member do it. So that's it's a really interesting way of thinking about it. What do we do? how do we start to find those trusted people that we, I mean, aside from like hiring you as a coach, which obviously is on the table and we'll talk about that in a, in a little bit, but how do we start to find those people who can help us read the label on the outside of
1: our jars? Like, like you did for this guy, you know, help us understand what our real value is. Yeah. I, I tell you one simple exercise I often give to my clients is to start making a list of compliments you've heard throughout your life. Oh, right. It's, and, and pay particular attention to the ones that you want to brush off. Right. Mm. Because those are the ones that likely are just so oh, well, there's no value in that. You know, it's sort of, you know, just brush it off. So that's mm. one really simple beginning is just make a list of the things people have been complimenting you on probably throughout Whoa. your professional career. Yeah. And just take stock, take inventory of what other people have been seeing in you and seeing what resonates for you and, and what you can build on that. I'll tell you another story of a, another uh, client. Uh, and this story is actually in my book because it was so powerful to me and, and actually ties into what I was saying earlier about midlife self employed. Uh, this gentleman's name, his name is Ted. Uh, Ted reached out to me, he'd been listening to my podcast for years. He t- let me know and he, he set up a phone call. And he explained real quickly that he had just walked away from a company he had built and been with for 15 years. It was his third company that he had built and sold or left. But in this case, he was just feeling done with that avenue in his life. So after 15 years, he walked away and he was very clear to say, I'm now 55 years old, Mm. but I'm not dead yet. That was his line. I'm 55, but I'm not dead. yet. Yeah. Yeah. And I totally got it. And what he was looking for, he's like, you know, I want, I, he, and he was honest because I have absolutely no idea what to build in the future. I just know that I'm not dead yet. I don't want to stop working, but I also don't want to return to the crazy hustle that it took for him to get to where he is. Sure. He had a little bit of a runway and we do what I do. I sat, I started working with him so like looking for what skills does he bring to the table? What would he love to do what, what, what's he passionate about? What is, how does he look at business differently than other people? And mm-hmm. what we realize is that throughout his career, he, uh, had a massive you know, portfolio of C-suite positions. I mean, he's, he's been the CEO, the CFO, the CMO, CMO, his education is a CFO. So what we created for him was what I refer to him as a timeshare C-suite executive. Oh, interesting! Right, he he knew he's like the Airbnb. I used to joke and call him the Airbnb of C-suite executives because he didn't want a long-term position. He didn't want any contracts more than six months. Right. Uh, but there's a market for either companies large or small. He's a little bit more interested in the two to two to twenty million dollar company who mm-hmm. probably was family owned right. and has probably grown from two to twenty million pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. They don't have a CFO yet. And he can go in and probably get them set up uh, but then leave he doesn't want to stay there for it. he doesn't right. want the position right, but there are a lot of companies that are find themselves in this in, interim period between CEOs CMO CFOs and he fills the gap Interesting and it's kind of a not, and that's what I mean if you if you take all those pieces of Your skill set your unique perspective what you're passionate about you put all that you mix it up in this bowl no two people are going to have those same ingredients. Mm-hmm. And what we ended up with was creating something that, to the best of my knowledge, hadn't really existed. I mean, I do know there are interim CEOs and such. But, I, you know, usually interim CEOs are semi-retired <laughs> from right. having been a CEO, right? and they're just kind of filling in. Right. But this was a case where we're actually building a brand and promoting the idea of... You know, especially the mid-sized companies or sure. smaller-sized companies of two to twenty million, which is kind of his sweet spot. How,
0: how long did it take you to see that in him, and how long did it take him to trust you to give him that guidance? Mm-hmm. You know, that's because there's people right now who maybe they've been laid off and they and and they have some professional contacts, but it, maybe you didn't you, you didn't realize you you sort of fell into uh, bathroom fixture sales, right? Mm-hmm. Like that, you didn't necessarily seek it, seek that out. You've put in 20 years into, into an industry that you that kind of fell into, uh, and now you need somebody to be able to say the things like that to you. How, how long does it take yeah. to get that kind of trust, to get that kind of relationship, to get that kind of insight?
1: Yeah, I've, I've always joked that anytime you want a change in life or you want greater understanding about anything in life, just wait three months. But I have to say, I think that's probably pretty accurate. (laughs) Honestly, I don't know what it is about, you know, first of all, the number three, but there's something about three months that Mm -hmm. it is amazing what can change in about three months. I would say if I were to break down, in Ted's case, I worked with him for a year. Um, On a one-to-one basis, I work with my clients minimally six months. Um, And I have, you know, other shorter-term coaching arrangements. But for for somebody looking for something like this, uh, I would say it takes us about three months to get clarity and then about three months to build out the brand mm-hmm. and it may be that we're done, but I off I'm also a huge believer in su- supporting what you built. Right. You know, I actually, there's a quote in my book that's kind of taken off and people have appreciated um, the book's not even out there yet, but I've put the quote out there, which is the danger is the risk is not in what you build. The risk is in not supporting what you build. And so you know, if we take three months to get the clarity three months to build out the brand, the website, uh, the marketing plan, it takes about another six months of, of ongoing support because now you're out there right now, you're going to hit the typical ups and downs of entrepreneurship, both emotionally as well as just logically. Um, one of the things I I teach in my book is what I call growth jet lag, because as the, the more rapid we grow as an individual and in our businesses, the it takes a while before the the world acknowledges that. Mm-hmm. Right. So you might position yourself in three to six months and, and have your business ready to go, but you have to give it the time for the world to to recognize that you're there and that you exist sure. and then to make that alignment. So I think in it, it you can get to a deep level of clarity on your next step within three months. Give yourself three months to to build it out. And then give yourself, you know, another six months or so before you start seeing traction. I think. Do you
0: have any advice for people who don't necessarily have the runway that your client Ted had, where, yeah. where you know, you I don't, I don't have three months of, uh, I mean, especially now, I don't have three months of savings to, to figure this out to, to, to pay a coach and do all these things. Like, how do they begin to, you know, what, what, what suggestions do you have to, for somebody
1: who's at a crossroads right now, uh, but doesn't have three months of just pure yeah. runway? And that's a tough one. I mean, I, and I can really appreciate that. So one thing as painful as it investment always has to stay ahead of growth and it's an unfortunate thing. And that's one of the paradoxes, right? Because Mm -hmm. you may not have the money, but you want to invest in someone who's ahead of you Mm -hmm. and has the experience because what you need to do in a case like that is you need to recover as quickly as possible. So you need to get the support so that you don't waste years trying to figure out what somebody else can already provide you the answer. Right. I mean, it's, it's a tough one because it's always harder to invest, but I I get a lot of those phone calls where people reach out and, and unfortunately Gib, I'd say most people wait too long. Uh, so then Mm -hmm. the situation they're under a little bit more pressure. You have to, especially, you know, again, being a little more sensitive to anybody of, you know, any mid years, um, you just don't have time to figure it all out on your own. Mm-hmm. You, you have to get the support so that you can get, to, get the wheels moving as quickly as possible. It's yeah, I just, essential.
0: I think there's a lot of people out there right now who, you know, who didn't even plan on having to have a runway, you know, a, a, a period of time where they can afford to lose money before, they, before whatever their next venture has to start bringing money in. Uh, the, I, I think there's, there's a lot
1: of those people who are living that right now. Mm -hmm. Um, and including uh, self-employed businesses, let me just add, because, you know, the rule of thumb in business has always been that you should have three to six months in reserves. Sure. You know, that, that, that just is really non-existent for most small businesses. And in fact, you know, restaurants, I mean, I'm here in Miami and and when I first moved to Miami five years ago, um, Zika virus had just hit Miami Mm -hmm. and it decimated the restaurant industry as we're seeing again now. Do you know why because the average restaurant has three weeks worth of cash. That's Crazy. it. Yeah, three weeks worth of cash You know, so that's that is the problem. I mean, that's where I'm saying that's where it takes Relatability to really understand the self-employed life because you can toss out statistics that you should have three months You should have six months in reserves. That is actually not reality for most self-employed businesses mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I
0: mean, even like, look, even major corporations, we found out don't have that going on. So, so, uh, you know, I know there's, there's the story of, in Apple's DNA about how they, um, they became so addicted to having cash reserves after, after they, the, the first Steve Jobs era. Mm -hmm. Um, and now, even now they hold more cash than most of their competitors, uh, for exactly that reason. Um, but again, you know, I, I, hindsight's twenty twenty uh, and, and and I think a lot of people have found themselves with no runway and you know and coaches are expensive and food has to be purchased and yeah. I you know for those people, uh, I want them to have a sense of what the next step could be. Yeah,
1: there's uh, what- probably honestly, there's probably some low hanging fruit, if you will, um, something that they can base their current skill set so, Right now, you may have to learn lean more onto a skill set you have mm-hmm. that can get something rolling. It may not be the ultimate dream. It may not be exactly what you want to get going. But first of all, I'm a huge believer that there's information in everything. So if you've whatever whatever skill set you harbor that maybe is no longer put to use, you know you lost your job, but is there something in that skill set that mm. for which somebody else out there can benefit from yeah and start there just start with that and and it the other thing we see pretty often gib is that you know people get drained in the in their corporate position you know they went they, they may have even gone to school for a skill set that's what they applied and they wound up thinking that they hate it mm-hmm. but it it actually what it was the culture that was dragging them down and when out right and out on their own you can fall back in love with the very same thing you felt like you were ready to leave.
0: Mm. Mm. That's interesting. That's interesting. I, I bet you. And I think there's going to be a lot of pent up demand as, as the world reopens that, you know, that there's going to be uh, opportunity to apply those skill sets. Um, I mean, I have a lot of hope in that, that, yeah. you know, whatever, whatever it is that you've invested your time into becoming the best version at uh, it, it's, it's going to come back. Yeah, uh, in yeah, some way, shape,
1: or form. Right. And we're working with such a virtual workforce these days and, and mm-hmm. the hiring of virtual assistants that you may have a skill set that people want to hire you on with a, a, you know, in a per project basis. And like I said, all information is good. It may lead you to that idea of what you want to do, mm-hmm. or it may just be something to hold you over while you can buy yourself that runway.
0: Well, for those of you that want the primer, the uh, the the way to sort of jumpstart this without before you before you, if you can't afford a coach right now, the book is the self employed life. Help you understand uh, what it means to be to be self employed, to be to be living in this. Hustle based world, uh, you know the the personal development strategies that'll help you create a sustainable success in your life. Again, it's the self employed life. Uh, Link to where you can buy it in the show notes. It's in pre order right now. If you're listening to this as it releases, uh, and uh, Jeffrey Shaw, if you if people want to follow up with you, where can they where can they follow
1: up with you? Yeah, and. Uh... You're gonna know, you know, discuss a little ahead of time. I think another great Avenue for anybody especially especially anybody who is you know Just as you described not sure what their next move is mm-hmm. I've organized a two-day online summit, which is April 12th and 13th in conjunction with the uh, pre-order of my book So the summit itself is complimentary by pre-ordering the book um, and I've lined up 10 well I'm one of them. So let's say nine other amazing, <laughs> <laughs> amazing speed. I literally have called on um, probably my my one favorite card with the best professional speakers I know of. And they all willingly said yes. And it is. I cannot tell you, Gib, they, they, this is going to be killer content. So anybody who is is currently self-employed or thinking about it, this is the content they need. Or and forced spread into it. Yeah. 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 Exactly. So it's April twelfth and thirteenth. Again, admission is complimentary. Pre-ordering the book, so it's sort of a double whammy. You know, you're going to get these two days of content in mid-April, May fourth. My book comes out. The content in the book will be just tremendous resource uh, for you. So there you go. I think that that's why I created this summit. I mean, it, this was this was a uh, a secondary thought right. to the book that I realized that there's a lot of people that are currently unemployed or thinking about it, are going into self-employment and um, they need help. They need support. And there's, there's, there's very little, if any content out there to support them.
0: A link to where to buy the, to pre-order the book uh, uh, in the show notes so that you can sign up for this, for this summit which again, I think we've we've shown today that a lot of people. I mean, I, I, I a lot of us could really, really benefit from. So again, yeah. uh, link to that in the show notes as well as if you're listening to this after the summit's over, where to buy the book, uh, Jeffrey. If other, aside from the summit and buying the book, where can people follow
1: up with you? So uh, Jeffreyshaw.com is my main site. Um, everything uh, everything related to self employment is the self employed life.me. That gives you the book, the summit. There's Content that I write for other publications there. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's to me. That's where the, the the world of self-employment lives at the self-employed life Dot me and, and that's actually the goal for that part of the website is to really build out uh, a whole community and of support for self-employed business owners
0: So a link to those two websites uh, in the show notes one last thing and I ask it to everybody What is one thing we can all start doing today that will make mm-hmm. our lives a whole lot better?
1: Yeah well, I'll tell you what, based on our conversation um you know, I think I'm a huge proponent, as I talk about in the book, about every time you want to take your life to the, the next level, you first have to increase your own capacity, mm-hmm. right? You have to increase. That's where personal development comes in. So I'm always my key is always turn inward first. So maybe the first thing to do is to 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 start with a f- few columns you know, on a sheet of paper or an Excel spreadsheet What are those compliments? You've you hear from other people, Mm. right? What are the skill? What do you bring to the table and? What are kind of the unique ways you look at the world? Like how do you see? What are problems that you can be solved? I think one of the One of the best definitions I've ever heard about expertise is that experts Recognize a pattern in the world for which they have a solution so I think a question to ask yourself, is there something you have been observing in the world that you think should be different, could be different, and you might have a solution? And that's that's really the basis of where I wrote this, the book. I mean, as we started our conversation, the pattern I saw in the world was that self-employed people think they're going to gain control, but they're entering uncontrollable circumstances.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I happen to have a solution for that, which is how I built my businesses, and that's what's in the book. So look look at what— what patterns do you see in the world and and think, huh, you know, I, it should be done this way. That would very well could lead to an expertise for which you could monetize
0: uh, I mean it, it, that's that's a great like single takeaway from your book. So uh, so let's look for that in our each of our own lives. and of course, by the book, Jeffrey Shaw, thank you so much uh, for your time today. we really we really appreciate you giving you give me a lot to think about.
1: <laughs> My pleasure, Gib. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
0: That's it for our show today. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you like the show, please rate, comment, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Helps us out a lot. Don't forget to follow up with Jeffrey. If you want to follow up with us, Facebook.com slash John Tesh. Spent a lot of time there. John's also on Instagram at John Tesh underscore IFYL. I am Gib Gerard. You can find me at Facebook.com slash Gib Gerard or at Gib Gerard on Instagram and Twitter. A couple of you guys have reached out recently. Thank you so much. means a lot. If you guys uh, have any guest suggestions or topics you want us to cover on the show, let me know because ultimately I do the show for you guys. So thank you so much for listening.